morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Well, if it hasn't been emphasized enough, I'm going to re-emphasize it. How important it is for you to come this weekend to Pastor Rice Brooks or Dr. Pastor Rice Brooks Seminar. Those of you who don't have any context and hear the God's Not Dead Seminar may think, wait a minute, this is a church. We know that. Well, the world does not. Pastor Rice Brooks wrote a book two years ago, finished it, called God's Not Dead. And it is one of the best apologetics. And apologetics is a term not to apologize for anything, but to defend something. An apologetic for the gospel in human and layman terms that you will ever find. Um, A movie was made from it last year. And the sequel is coming out this year at Easter called God's Not Dead 2. Based on the sequel to the book called Man, Myth, Messiah talking about who Jesus was. Was he just a man? Was he a myth? Or was he really who he said he was? It's a beautiful book. I've read it. The movie, God's Not Dead One, uh, was seen by millions, tens of millions of people and is still circulating around the world. Pastor Rice Brooks, just uh, 10 days ago, met with the Pope about how he could impact all of Italy because... Rome and Italy, though it is Christian in its history, it is only Christian culturally. It is not practically. Only 3% of the people go to church. The Pope opened up 25 theaters for God's Not Dead 1. Every one of them was packed. People hearing the gospel for the first time in their lives. It was amazing. I want to encourage you that our community, without an intervention by God is going the direction of Italy you may not realize it because you hang out in church or maybe you do because you go to work you hang out with all the folks who play basketball and soccer with your kids maybe your eyes are opening but our society is going the wrong way from God and in a couple of generations without us doing more and God doing something, the combination of the two, the intersection of his sovereignty and our responsibility, without those two things occurring as best as possible, in two generations we're going to be Italy. And things will not be for our grandchildren as they should be. It's already not good for us. Our parents had it better culturally and society than we did. And we need to do something to help that, not just for ourselves, but for God's glory. There are people that need to know who he is that do not And they need to hear it from somebody who actually lives it. You do live it. And I'm just just asking the question. And so please come. This will help you become more confident in sharing your faith. All right. Turn with me over to the book of Luke. We're going to continue our series on prayer. And again, I want to encourage you to come on Wednesday night. The entire message of our church for this period of time is prayer. And so Pastor Jim Critcher is preaching on prayer on Wednesday night, how important it is in teaching us how to do it. We're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. And we're talking about prayer from the perspective of our responsibility to keep our values as a congregation. And we have five of them. Uh, The first value is lordship. The second is discipleship. The third is evangelism. The fourth is family. 
And the fifth is leadership development. You can have them in any order you want. But those five things help us know who we are regularly. We can hold on to those, remember those, and they kind of define our mission. They help give some fuel to why we are distinct from any other congregation. Not better, just different. And it helps us fulfill our mission of helping to reach the world for Jesus Christ in a certain way with integrity and making sure that every believer is responsible to fulfill the call of God on his or her life. Lordship, discipleship, evangelism, family, and leadership development. With the concentration on prayer, we're going to talk about that in the context of discipleship. So the title of the message is Discipleship, Persistence in Prayer. Discipleship, Persistence in Prayer. Luke 5, excuse me, Luke 11, 5 through 10. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So, I say to you, ask, and it will be given given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 10, for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Lord, help us, we study. What we see here is Jesus continuing on what we talked about last week with the disciples. Last week we identified the Lord's Prayer and went through that as to why it was postulated and the encouragement that Jesus was giving for us as people to commune with God and have a relationship with him through conversation. And here Jesus now is giving a story about how that prayer is to be prayed, not just that it is to be prayed. Now Jesus talks three times, maybe four, but definitely three times in the book of Luke regarding prayer. And the three times he mentions prayer don't have much to do with your individual needs. The only time we see Jesus talking about needs, individual needs with respect to prayer is possibly from the passage we read last week, verses 1 through 4 of Luke 11, where we get to the part and what we have identified as the Lord's Prayer, where he says, give us this day our daily bread. But that's not so much, even though it's interpreted so often, as to be individual need. Remember, what we have coined the Lord's Prayer is a corporate prayer. There's not a my in it. It's an our. Our Father who art in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a whole bunch of plural. Not individual, not singular. And so you can extrapolate from that that God's interested in your individual needs, and he is. But that's not the, the, the specific uh, syntax nor grammar of the prayer. Here he, he goes through in, in, in the same book in Luke 18, talks about a widow who needed justice from a judge. And this judge was unwilling to give her justice. 
We don't know whether the, the judge was looking for a bribe or not, but we do know that he was unjust because Jesus calls him such, the unjust judge. And this widow was petitioning him, give me justice for my accuser, my, my, my persecutor. Do something for me. And every judge should always give preference to widows. That was the cultural mandate in all of Israel because widows had no place else to go. And so judges needed to open their ear to listen to the defenseless. This judge was not. Now this is a story that Jesus gives. Yet because of the widow's persistence, the judge said, I better give her what she wants lest she wear me out. Now, on the basis of the request being given, which was individual, it wasn't just a need. It was on the basis of persecution, relief. We're not talking about just getting your, 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 your bread for your household or a car fixed, though God is interested in your needs, and I'm going to get to this in a minute. This was specifically, defend me. Help me from terrifying dread that's coming upon me, and you're the only one who can do it. Boy, when we come to God like that, God will help us. He will defend us. He will protect us. We can be assured of that. But it requires per- persistence. Another time Jesus speaks on prayer, later in Luke chapter 11, he talks about how we ought to pray and that we ought not come before God saying, look at me and how righteous I have been. I am glad you did not make me a sinner nor a tax collector. I bless you, O oh God, because you have made me good and I have proved it. And then there was a sinner who came in. I paraphrased all that. Then there was a sinner who came in and said, Lord, I'm really messed up. I need your help. Please have mercy on me. Jesus said, see that guy? He's going to get what he wants. The other guy, he got what he, 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 he deserved, which was attention that he wanted from everybody else. He's gotten what he wanted. But this guy who humbled himself, boy, God listens and he's going to be exalted. The other guy who exalted himself, he's going to be humbled. So again, Jesus talks about how we ought to come in prayer. But we still don't see the emphasis on the individual's need and that, that, need, that must be met in prayer. Now, I'm convinced that Jesus didn't concentrate on that because he was more interested in how we come to him and more interested in making sure that when we are in trouble, we have the confidence that he's going to help us than trying to figure out how to get your, bill, your light bill paid. Now, it's not that he's uninterested in getting your light bill paid. He just already gave a solution to that. I'm not saying that prayer can't help in these areas. I'm just saying that there are other things that we don't employ and we use prayer to fix what we won't do. Jesus said this, seek first what? The kingdom. Don't worry for what you need. Birds of the air. Your father knows that they have need, yet they don't store the barns, nor do they work. Yet he provides for them. Look at the lilies of the field. One of them is clothed in more glory than all of Solomon's raiments. And tomorrow it's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Yet your father provides for them. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Your job is to seek first the kingdom. And if you seek first the kingdom and all of his righteousness, meaning doing the right thing while you are seeking the kingdom, obeying him, then everything you need will be provided for you. 
He gave a solution. So if you're not getting your individual needs met, talk to them. Do that. But don't neglect the other stuff that's required to get your individual needs met. Meaning, are you disobeying intentionally? Are you really seeking first the kingdom or your own? Because he said, if you seek first my kingdom, I will add all these things to you. You won't have to worry about your need. Not one. So maybe it's a seeking first the kingdom problem rather than a prayer problem. I'm just saying. Again, God, talk to him. I don't mind. Talk to him. I'm just emphasizing what Jesus emphasized. You don't like me this morning. I can tell. I'm not making any friends today. So Jesus here is concentrating on some things other than your individual needs. Yet the individual need portion of our life is most of the impetus for us to get with him. That's most of it. I mean, when we are lacking, oh God! When things are great, not so much. Not so much. It's an indictment. An indictment. Now in this, we see a couple of things. We've got to be emphasized. Um, One, Jesus could have said anything he wanted with respect to how prayer needs to be approached. He's making a story. He's creating an environment where people can hear what they need to hear in order to get stuff done, in order to pray correctly. So any story could have been told, but he told this one. And he knew that generations later would be repeating the story. So it's really important that we get all the points we possibly can. And he chose the story of a man who had a friend who came to him. And this friend came late at night. Now the entire emphasis of this passage is how in the world should we be when we have people who come into our life that are in need. This is how Jesus wants us to posture a whole lot of our prayer. Most of the time, when people who come into our life are in need they got they got a lot of, they got a lot of needs Amen. folk come with baggage i talk to pastors quite frequently and help and train them and and they want they they're trying to figure out how to make their church relevant and and outreach oriented and large so they can really reach their community and and uh, I, I tell them regularly i say um, you, you want a large church you just realize that means large problems Large problems. So you have small problems right now, and those problems are consuming you. And I understand you give all your time and energy to fixing them, and that's good. But the bigger you get, the the more problems there are. Because you have more people, and people come with problems. People come with baggage. You hope hope they come with the kind of baggage that's just a (laughs) carry-on. That's what you hope. But folks got moving trucks worth of baggage. (laughs) Van lines worth of baggage. Cargo trains worth of baggage. You want more people, you got more problems. When people come into your life, they don't come with just a little bit of stuff. They come with needs. And this is what we usually do. We look at what we've got and we determine whether we can meet their need. If we have a little bit, we'll give a little bit. If we don't, we say, I'm sorry. And the entire focus of this was to you need to pray when folk come into your life when they have need. 
So a man comes, and he comes inconveniently. Folks never come conveniently. It's never a good time for you, ever. Because need doesn't wait. Need doesn't go by the calendar. Need just is there. And when somebody is in need, and I'm not trying to amplify my position at all, but I understand nothing happens on point, on time. Nothing in the pastorate. Nothing. Even Jesus said, you're supposed to take a day off. And he understood the Sabbath was important. He said, but she fall in pits. When they fall into pits, oh, you religious who believe the Sabbath ought to be kept every day, all the time, every day it's supposed to be kept. Then when they fall into a pit, you're going to leave the sheep there to die? Or are you going to pick them, up, pick them out even though it's the Sabbath? I have a day off, which is Monday. You don't care. You do not care. You call me on Monday, send me emails on Monday. And even if I tell you, you still won't care. Why? Because your need needs to be met now. That's the way people come. Came late at night while everybody was still asleep. The requirement for that region, and indeed, still for most of the world, except the Western world, is that you get up and you figure out how to host. You can't just say, I'm tired. I don't have it right. Hospitality was the order of the day. And you have to understand why. Today we've got courtyards and holiday inns and all kinds of things. Within a half a mile of one another, you can walk to a hotel. But in the Middle East during these days, few and far between were towns. Even more infrequent were hotels. And they were small. And people would generally travel a day's journey or two or three and they would wind up at a place late at night because something happened on the way. They sprained their ankle or their donkey died or something. And so if they showed up at 2 a.m., it really wasn't their fault. And everybody knew that things like this happened. And so everybody said, we need to practice hospitality when somebody comes to our door. And that meant that you fed them, you clothed them, you gave them a bed any time, even if it was yours, because somebody on the road was in danger and needed help. This was the order of the day, and everybody knew it to be so. So this guy comes at 2 a.m., knocks on this fellow's door, says, can you help me out? Well, you were supposed to be here at 7. What happened? What happened? I was waiting on you. <laughs> Life happened. I just, need never presents itself conveniently. Ever. So this man says, okay, I got to host you. No question about it. We need to learn from that. We got to figure out what God is doing in bringing that person to our life. And not, not go like this because we don't have the need or give them what they need without praying about what they really need. Going deeper than that. So Jesus realizes he's going to tell the story about other people rather than the individual. He begins to realize his responsibility to host. And then as he looks around, he, he realizes, I, I don't have any resources. I don't have a thing. We ate up all our food last night. <sighs> hmm. The beauty of him not having made him more persistent. He knew he didn't have, 
But he knew who did. He knew he didn't have, but he knew who did. And he realized that not having was no excuse. You can't use no resources as no excuse. Cannot. This is why Jesus has given this example. To show that even when you don't have, you know somebody who does. And you better use your faith to get it to provide for him who cannot get. He doesn't have a friend like you got. He doesn't know who you know. Am I having to spell this out for you? Because you're not amen in Jesus. You know somebody who's got it even though you don't have it. The friend doesn't know. You better start talking to God about how you can meet that friend's need with your God's resources. Are you listening to me? Now, here we get into a little interesting thing. So, so now he knows where the, where the resources are. And he makes a friend request. He Facebooks this dude. Friends him. Tries to get a request. Friend request. Hey, I got a buddy who's coming to me late at night. Could you uh, like lend me three loaves of bread? I got to feed him. Now, everybody knows what's supposed to be done. Hospitality is really important. This guy says, uh, you know, what are you doing? I'm in bed. My children are in bed. No, we are. I'm not getting up and giving you a thing. This is ridiculous. We got a few hours. Just wait till the morning. Y'all, you ain't going to die in the morning. Please understand something about what I'm going to say and do not take it beyond what I'm saying. Friendship, your friendship with God is not enough. Oh, it is the bridge upon which you need to walk in order to get what you need to get. But simply because you know God, it's not enough. Not if you're going to meet the needs of somebody else. Are you listening to me? The reason is, is God wants you to partner with him in character. He wants you to learn what it means to fight in this sin-sick world in order to pull some victory out of the jaws of defeat, pull resources out of lack. He wants you to find things supernaturally and understand that there is an uphill battle because the God of this world, meaning the devil, does not want anything of his kingdom, meaning God's kingdom, to be manifest in the earth and much less through you. I mean, if God does something all by himself, the devil hates it, but the devil can't do nothing about it. If you do something through God, oh my goodness, now you're going to talk. Now you're going to be a testimony. Now you got to get up and share with somebody. Look at what God did through me. And then everybody's going to say, whoa, God did it through you. He might do it through me. And then it multiplies. No, the devil hates that. He hates that. You become a walking miracle of what it's like to press through adversity and find a prize. When everything else said you couldn't do it. Impossible. Yet you found God in the middle of it. That's the way the world is. They don't know anything about God. All they know is adversity and hopelessness. And working their own manipulative tactics in order to get what they need. They don't know the creator of the universe. When you talk about them like you will after you see a testimony like this. It changes their entire mindset. I'm a little excited this morning. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I won't give you anything. I won't give you. Your friendship 
It's not enough. You've got to be persistent. And this is where we get a fortified response. I mean, this man realized, oh, I'm going to have to work this. Remember, this isn't for his needs. It's for his friend's needs. I'm going to have to work this. And he just kept knocking. Probably louder. Boom, boom, boom. You're waking up all my children. I know. You better hurry up and come so we don't do it anymore. You better open the door so they'll sleep. Boom, boom, boom. Just kept knocking. You have to keep knocking. Keep asking. You may not find it on the first venue, the first foray into God's environment, but you keep asking. The leadership of this church knew you all needed a house. Not talking about this one. I'm talking about that one, the one we just came out of. 25 years I kept asking and knocking and seeking. 25 years. And it was 25 years to the week that we entered into our first home. We had met in 33 different locations in, that, in those 25 years. How do you build a church doing that? I don't know. I don't know how in the world people journeyed with us through our northern Virginia wilderness. I don't know. I don't know why, but they did from one spot to another. There were times we were at hotels for three weeks at a time. The fourth week we showed up with all of our equipment. It was breakdown and set up all the time. Showed up and said, sorry, you're not here. That's at 6 a.m. We mean, you know, we got a contract. Well, we had a conference that came in and they paid more money, so we had to cancel yours. It's in the fine print. What? That's the way we lived. 25 years. Ask. God, this isn't for me. I can worship you really well in my own house. I'm begging you. Provide for your people. It takes sometimes longer than you want. Much longer. But you are persistent. You do not quit because other people need, our community needs. You do not quit. Quit is a horrible word, except when you use it with respect to sin. (laughs) Quit that. Don't do that. Stop that. Quit. He kept knocking. Fortitude. Persistence. And because of his persistence, it says that the guy got up and gave him what he needed. Now, Jesus brings out some things here from this that we need to learn and find encouragement, from which we need to learn and find encouragement. One, he says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. He formulated a postulate, something we can hold on to. He told this story to get to these two points, which I'm going to say, say now. Those three, and then one more. The point of the ask, seek, and knock, and then what it means as an axiom. He told that story to get to here. You ask, and, and the, the context, even though the word is not necessarily this, the context of what he's saying means this. It doesn't, it doesn't mean just ask once, and you will receive. Seek once and you will find. Knock once and the door will be open. It means ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. 
seek and keep on seeking. You say, well, I mean, why? God, God knows what I'm going to need before I ask him, right? And, and like, if he hears me the first time, why do I got to say it again? Why? 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 It's not about God knowing. It's about you coming to know something you don't yet. About what it means to... Per- this, this world is so backwards, going the wrong direction. And there is a battle for your life and for the resources God wants you to have every day. A battle. And it's a, it's a greater battle for the resources he wants you to, to disperse to others. Because it always comes with a message. Not only are you helping somebody who needs something naturally get to the next day, but you're helping them get to eternity. And the enemy hates that. And the world is going the wrong way. The enemy is accelerating that process. And nothing comes to the believer easy. There's nothing about this Christian life that is just full of rose petals and a, a path that kind of is like a, a, uh, an escalator that, that helps you as you climb. Everything about this world is... You ever tried to go up the down escalator? That's what it's like. Trying to find progress in God. Lord, I'm working it as best I know how. But you're fighting against your own flesh. You're fighting against the world system. You're fighting against people who don't like you. You're fighting against your own limitations. You're fighting against your background, the thoughts of what people said in the past. You've got to fight every day of your life just to get to the starting line. Sometimes just to get to the starting line. And then you can go. And the Lord wants you to understand something about perseverance. And so he uses things like this in order to build something on the inside of you. Are you listening to me? And don't think you're, you're somehow unusual, that God didn't do this with the other people in the Bible. Are you kidding me? Ask Elisha, who had to lie on a boy and breathe into his nostrils, a kid who had been birthed by his mother as a result of Elisha's word, saying, you will have a son. And the woman said, don't, don't tease me. I, I've been barren all my life. He said, no, no, you're going to have a son. A few years later, the boy was out in the field, got a headache, died. We think it was some stroke or aneurysm. The woman came back to Elisha and said, why did you, why did you trick me like this? You gave me a boy. He went all the way back, came, the boy was lying on the, in, in, in a room that the woman had made for Elisha, lying there in a, in a room. And uh, Elisha looks at him, gets on him, Face to face, arms to arms, stretched out like this, and prays, raise the boy. Like he's breathing into him. Nothing happens. Nothing. When you're Elisha and nothing happens, you're fighting against something. It's either three or seven times he had to do this. I can't remember. I think it was seven. And after the seventh time, the boy coughed. You think it's going to be easier for you? Do you think it's going to be easier? You're going to have to persist to bring life from death, to bring resources to lack. You're going to have to persist. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And then the axiom. 
the final axiom of this, this parable. For everyone, say with me everyone. That's you. Jesus could have said some. He, he could have said, you 12 disciples. He says, everyone who's in the context of my will, everyone who asks, receives. Seeks, finds. Knocks, finds doors open. Meaning, if you haven't sought yet, it's because you haven't sought long enough. If you haven't found what you need, it's because you haven't sought long enough. If, if the door has not been opened, either it's the wrong door. That's why you have to be in the context of his will. But if it's the right door, it will be open to you. If you have not received two things, either you're asking amiss or you haven't asked enough. But everyone who asks within the context of his will receives if you keep on asking. Everyone who knocks in the context of his will on the right door has doors open to him. And everyone who seeks always finds when they are trying to find the right thing. Everyone all the time. Axiom. You can have faith in God that he will do this for you because he said so, not Pastor Brett. He will do this. This is what disciples do. Folks who don't want to be disciplined in the faith, don't do this. They fail because they tried the easy path and it didn't work. They asked once. Oh, God didn't answer my prayer. Please grow up. Please grow up. Become stronger. More persistent. And watch God be faithful. This is how disciples work. 